name is Roanne Dodds um, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you all this evening for um, a discussion around the Glasgow effect. Um, uh, we did have a completely full house with a massive waiting list and we will know who hasn't turned up. <laughs> we have your names, um, it's, which is a shame just because there's quite a lot of people I know who are really, really desperate to come. Um, but I'm really thrilled to have you here, and I'm particularly thrilled uh, with the group of people that we've got here coming to talk. They're very, very brave people who've kind of put their neck on the line in very many ways. Um, and really grateful to them for that, but, and also for coming to talk this evening. Um, as we all know, this covers a whole range of issues, um, and uh, so I'm really pleased that uh, Lockie is here, Darren McGarvey, uh, who's a well-known... Uh, rapper and uh, an activist and does some amazing work with the Violence Reduction Unit and Katie Gologli-Swan who uh, is going to be working at Common Hill Baths and is an activist and has worked uh, for the Common Wheel and of course Ellie Harrison who um, who's the artist whose project this uh, started this whole conversation and uh, my co-producer uh, uh, and mischief maker Jerry Hassan um, on the Festival of Imagination, uh, who, is, who are hosting this event tonight. So um, we will certainly be going for a couple of hours, um, but uh, I'm going to uh, introduce Ellie first, who's going to just say a little bit about how we're going to plan the start of the conversation, um, and there'll be plenty of time for a good, robust discussion um, a bit later. Thanks. Ellie. Thank you. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought this would be the one time in my life where I'd have a full crowd, and I'm so disappointed. I cannot believe it. Okay, so anyway, thank you lot for coming out. Um, it wasn't my idea to organise this event. It was Rowan and Jerry's, and they got Loki to agree to it first, then they got Katie to agree to it, and then I thought that it would be really rude and perhaps look slightly cowardly if I didn't come along myself. And, you know, I, through all of this, I've been thinking, why the hell should I feel scared in the city where I live? Like, why should anybody have to feel scared in the city where they live? So I'm here. Um, and I'm here despite the fact that actually all I really want to do for the next six months, at least, is keep a low profile. <laughs> hide in my studio and get on with some bloody work. That's what I really want to do, because it takes time to do good work. And one thing that I've really noticed over the last month is how our social media-driven culture has completely lost all sense of patience. Um, and it makes completely unrealistic demands for quick answers and results and totally undermines considered and thoughtful debate in the process. And the whole notion of doing anything durational is that it will unfold slowly over time. Um, but the Glasgow effect isn't just about me anymore. It's not just my project. It's all of your projects as well. It's Loki's project, it's Katie's project. And if you can see here, this it's the one million people who have passed by, this, this event has passed by um, 
in their Facebook feed. It's all of their projects as well. Um, and it probably means something slightly different to every single one of you. And for me, that is the amazing thing about art and why it's different from any other form of language is that it can be interpreted in so many different ways in order to create meaning in every single individual person's mind from their own perspective. So hopefully we'll hear a lot more of your interpretations of this project later today. Uh, but before that, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what this project means to me. So this project was always, for me, more than was contained in this Creative Scotland funding application which I wrote last summer for a project called Think Global at Local. Think Global at Local is a phrase that I borrow from the famous Scottish thinker Patrick Geddes, which perfectly sums up how we should be addressing big global challenges such as climate change, that is by shortening supply chains, reducing our need for travel, relearning important skills locally, and helping to create strong and resilient communities in the process. But this title felt to me a little bit too worthy, because I knew there was a darker side in what I was doing, and I can't solve all of the world's problems on my own, no matter how hard I might try. So I decided to fit Think Global at Local within a larger frame called the Glasgow Effect. And in doing so, to zoom out and to try to make visible the wider social and economic forces at play. So... It is a complicated and provocative project. And I've spent the last month trying to unpick exactly what it is I think I'm doing. And also trying to understand why it had the reaction that it did have at the start of the year. So I've now published a text on my own website which tries to encapsulate what I see as my personal motivations and what I hope to explore over the course of the year. So, it's part psychological experiment, I'm definitely getting that. It's part protest, it's part strike. The Glasgow Effect was initiated last summer in order to explore the relationships, both constructive and destructive, between the individual and the institutional structures and in, in my part, those include the family, higher education, the art world, and the media. Also the communities, both offline and online, and the economies, both local and global, within which that individual is forced to operate. The central provocation of the project is that I will refuse to travel outside Greater Glasgow for a whole calendar year. So that's my take on it. But in order to open things up now, um, and to recap on a number of the different voices and arguments that emerged during that first week in January, we're now going to collaborate and uh, represent some of the key texts um, in the order that they appeared in that first week of January 
because there are so many ideas contained within these that we thought would be useful for everybody in the room to hear them again so that we're all on the same page when we open up into discussion. So we're going to start with what kicked it all off on the 4th of January 2016 at 19.14 when the Daily Record published an article which Jerry's going to read for us. Well, yes, fortunately, I'm going to read you a, a, an extract of uh, the Daily Record article. Um, uh, not because it's so long, because everyone will know that Daily Articles, Daily Record articles are seldom long. But the headline on the 4th of January was London artist paid 15k public money to spend a year in Glasgow for a research project branded Poverty. Safari. Now that was under the byline of Aidan Kerr, and in the first paragraph of that said article, it said, Many expressed further anger at the decision to name the project the Glasgow Effect, a term used to describe the poor life expectancy of working class Glaswegians. That's a deal record. Then. <laughs> On Tuesday, the 5th of January, at 9 o'clock, there was a phone-in. We can't we get the phone-in, I'm afraid. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it's too difficult, but um, do you want to keep okay. explaining what happened? Okay, there was a phone-in, which, 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 uh, which we were going to play on BBC Radio Scotland, which lasted for an hour with people calling in, expressing their views, both positive and negative, um, on, on the project. Then quickly followed Create Scotland's statement at 10, 11 minutes past 10. Ellie is a recognised artist with an MA in distinction from Glasgow School of Art. Her idea articulated in a strong proposal in, with the working title Think Global, Act Local met all criteria for open project funding. It focused on exploring whether it's possible for an artist to generate an existence for themselves by living, working and contributing to a single community as opposed to being constantly on the road because of the need to earn money from commissions from different places that incur costly travel and accommodation costs and high carbon footprint usage. Ellie's project is based on the premise that if society wishes to achieve global change, then individuals have to be more active within their communities at a local level in restricting... Sorry level stop. In restricting herself to staying within the city boundaries, she is keen to explore what the impact of this will have on her life and on her work as an artist with national and international commitments. Our funding will support Ellie's creative practice in Glasgow and we will be interested to see how the project progresses. As part of our funding conditions, we will require an evaluation of the project once it is completed. Okay. Meanwhile, I was in my pyjamas in my bedroom, <laughs> getting rather stressed by this whole experience um, and feeling an immense amount of pressure to, to say something. Um, so I wrote a statement which I'm just going to read sort of sections of, probably quite a lot of you will have seen it. Um, but there's a lot in here that, that, yeah, I, anyway. Hi everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
thanks so much for your interest and engagement in the project. <laughs> Both positive and negative. Glasgow has been my home for seven and a half years, and to suddenly have a response like this to one of my projects has been quite overwhelming. You have given me so much material to digest. It will take a whole year to do so, and I hope to follow up by meeting many of you face-to-face when all the fuss has died down. But before I sign off Facebook for a while, I would like to address the important questions raised about money. Anyone who's done any research about me will know that I'm interested in the undesirable consequences of certain funding systems, and I am working to set up a radical alternative, the Radical Renewable Art and Activism Fund, which will form the bulk of my workload in 2016 whilst in the city. Like any provocative artwork, the Glasgow Effect has been devised to operate on many levels at once. And the questions about community being raised on off social media in the last few days is certainly one of them. As much as I do care sincerely about the environmental issues raised by the project, as my previous work should testify, I also want to highlight the absurd mechanisms at play within higher education which were its initial impetus. In the interest of transparency and to provide a more detailed context for the project, I will shortly publish <coughs> the full text of my application to Creative Scotland. I was planning to do that anyway, actually. I was planning to put out a lot more text about the project um, on the Monday um, morning before all of this happened. But I'll explain more about why, why I was delayed doing that later, if people want to know. The application was written over the course of one month in June 2015 in order to fulfil one of the criteria of my three-and-a-half-year probation for my lecturing post at the university. I was required to submit a significant research grant application. I'll just skip through this little bit to this bit that I finished with. Um, the fact that this university, like most others in the UK, now requires its lecturing staff to be fundraisers and is willing to pay them to be absent from teaching, as a result, should be the focus of this debate. That's what I wrote. And then, it was over to Loki. Um, good evening, everyone. My name's Darren. Uh, can I just start by saying um, that I definitely recognise having kind of looked back on the, the manner in which I approached certain things. Um, I can see that I also got caught up in that kind of gathering snowball of outrage and hysteria. Um, what I'm trying to do is give people an understanding of where I think some of that comes from. Um, I'm aware that you'll all have things to say and thoughts to share, so I'm just going to read one kind of long paragraph out of my piece. How many of you read the thing that I wrote? Fuck, cool. Nice <laughs> We have to get honest with ourselves about where scepticism of certain forms of art and culture comes from. It comes from the fact we are now living in two different worlds. 
In working class communities, symbols of culture and identity are ripped out, renamed, sold off, mysteriously burned down, gentrified and or demolished routinely in the name of progress. This progress usually comes in the form of a road which connects affluent towns and suburbs to shopping destinations and cities. Then there's the constant backdrop in which schools are closed, regardless of what local people think. Common land is handed to private developers, regardless of what people think. And public spaces are locked up at weekends due to funding cuts, while suburban Scotland frequents the swanky shopping village, now perched on the periphery of these criminally under-resourced communities. These shopping districts superimposed on the receding cultural landscape are hailed as the solution to poverty and are always given new names which subtly disown the heritage, history and culture of the local people in that area who now work there for peanuts. So when Creative Scotland decides to bankroll one person's investigation into how being stuck in Glasgow with no road out affects your social life, career and mental health, and you can understand why some Glaswegians are going to be fuming about it. Um, so my, my piece was, well, I, I guess there was a couple of reasons why I, I chose to co come in the way that I did. First of all, I explained the term poverty safari, um, which I thought was a brilliant fucking term, to be honest, <laughs> because it sums up for me something fundamental in my experience as a young person in an area like Pollock, Pollock is a place that I talk about so much, I'm actually like a parody of myself when I do it, because you can't be from anywhere except Scotland these days. Um, but anyway, that's another debate for another night. Uh, so poverty safari, but in that I meant, even if you're not coming to investigate poverty, if you're truly going uh, if you're truly going to immerse yourself in the milieu, then you're going to come up against poverty. Because that, is, as evidenced by the title of the project, The Glasgow Effect, as evidenced by the worker Harry Burns, who came up with the theory, then poverty, unfortunately, and all of the social ills that come with it, is Glasgow's defining characteristic. Therefore, if you're going to do a project for a year and it's not about poverty, that's an issue in itself. But a lot of this stuff gets lost in translation because what we're doing essentially is we're speaking across a widening gulf of experience, which I've tried to kind of outline there in that paragraph. But like I said at the start, I do recognise and I'm extremely sensitive to it and sorry for anything that I might have done that might have upset or offended anyone, in particular Ellie. Um, I just follow my instincts like any person would. And my instinct told me, this is an opportunity to get the issue that you've been representing since you were a young person in Pollock back onto the agenda. Um, just leave it on that. Thank you. Disclaimer. Because neither of my parents finished high school, because I'm from Cope Bridge, I have seven brothers and sisters, grew up in a series of schemes as the Cope Bridge high-rises were successively flattened, and only ate my first raspberry at the age of 20, I'm allowed to voice the following opinions. Disclaimer, because I ride a bicycle, order a veg box from Locavore, have a humanities degree, make my own homemade knocky, and dabble in ironically old-fashioned hobbies like knitting and hiking, I'm allowed to voice the following opinions. 
I started my article with this sort of dichotomy because I felt like a lot of the conversation was about this two worlds that Darren is referencing, two worlds that I feel like I straddle myself sometimes, and it was frustrating to me that that sort of texture in a class debate wasn't being had, that sort of complexity um, that you find in an increasingly complex class system in Scotland wasn't really being allowed in this debate, it, rather it was a us versus them or a we are this group and they are that group and very combative and combative and not about you know finding a common ground and I understand why that might have to be the way that the argument is set up but for me it didn't feel like it represented my experience um, and that kind of frustrated me. I don't think it's a, as simple as that in Scotland as I said I think that it's almost policing about proper ways of behaving if you are from this sort of background and proper ways of behaving if you're from a sort of different sort of background, and then the ways that those two people should be interacting. And I don't think that's good enough. I'm not satisfied with that. I have a lot of solidarity with a lot of the concerns that Darren's brought up, um, because I also sometimes feel locked out of a conversation about arts in Scotland, only used when my voice suits the agenda of the person um, who needs it. But then at the same time, I don't think this is just about publicly funded art, and a lot of people voice their opinions on that and revealed you know, a, a conflicting, some people were for it, some people were against it, and I think there's a whole host of reasons for that too, you know, a systematic alienation of people who feel devalued by you know, the wider mechanisms of capitalism. But it's not just about publicly funded art, it's also about women in the media, it's about monstering people, it's about social media and that snowball, it's about a lack of empathy and being able to understand that human on the other end of that social media, and it's also about the Scottish cringe. Mm -hmm. How Scottish are you? Did you grow up on a scheme in the central belt? Have your home demolished several times through regeneration? Ate a pizza crunch because that's all your top money could get you and you were too ashamed to accept the free ticket your poverty afforded you? Learned to hide from the TV licence man, the tax man, the police, the council and obviously the provy? I say this because for me I sometimes feel like this, there's this alternative privilege in Scotland um, that we don't really talk about all that much. And I use it as an armour myself. I use it to, to gain authority, to gain the upper hand in a conversation, because I feel like that experience lends me that authority and allows me to say what I want about Scottish culture or the experience of poverty in Scotland. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. And I'm saying this coming from a very specific experience. Um, just to give you a bit of gratuitous background, I come from Coatbridge. Those things I said about myself are true. But I also, when I was 17, left Coatbridge and went on a scholarship to Harvard in the US, spent four years on a scholarship there. So I almost, as, an, as someone who studied anthropology, I almost did my eth first ethnographic fieldwork with some of the most privileged people in the world. <laughs> um, and that experience gave me a very, a, like at first, a lot of bitterness and frustration at the lack of understanding in my experience. But by the end of that, a very large and well-exercised empathetic muscle um, and I don't think that uh, using my own pain or uh, experiences in poverty and directly or inadvertently experiencing poverty gives me the authority to tell someone else to shut up. Um, you see in Scotland we do this really funny thing that I used to think was unique but it turns out a lot of places all over the world do this. We simultaneously oppress and silence the working classes while using the authentic sound of our voices to legitimise and explain our culture. As well as this, we eradicate the middle class stake in a Scottish identity because they haven't experienced all that pure authentic stuff like alcoholism or domestic violence. Right? 
While enshrining in the country's education and labour infrastructure, their dominance in administering and kingmaking in the national cultural scene. And what does this mean? They both lose out. The working classes are very obviously the most disadvantaged, since their lack of economic freedom means they have limited access to not just basic needs, but the levers of power and participation that would allow them self-determination. So you can see that I've got a lot of things in common with Darren and my opinions on this, but I also think that someone who is a practising artist who has developed their craft, who showed a dedication to their work, also has the right to a living wage. So maybe in more ways than one, I straddle these two identities, and I don't think it's quite as simple as some people would want it to be. I want it to be simple, but I don't think that it should be fit in a box. Um, and I think that any conversation moving forward in this needs to be enriched with that complexity, um, needs to be full of empathy because I'm not satisfied with having an us and them, because that takes no account of the larger structures which allows that stat inequality to grow. Um, and that's what I've got to say. Thanks. Thank you very much. Shall I just finish up with this? Yeah. Okay. And then, so that was the 6th of January, though, Katie. Um, where were you when you were writing that, Katie? At work? I just <laughs> I, was, I was coming home on the bus from Edinburgh for work. You actually wrote it on the bus? It's just so angry. Has <laughs> <laughs> that effect on people? Can I just ask people if they want to sit back before you? Yeah, yeah. Is anybody sorry? If anybody's at the back that wants a seat, there's a few seats. Yeah. But if you don't, that's fine too. We're fine, thanks. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah. Just checking. <coughs> sorry. Okay, and then on um on the actually it was on the Wednesday night that I. Uh, I got bombarded by media invitations to speak on things like I could have been on I could have I could have done a, a uh, Skype link to Channel Four News or or Newsnight and all the rest of it, and I just felt so overwhelmed by it, and I decided to do one interview and to do that interview with Common Space, um, and to address some of the questions um, around. The title, The Glasgow Effect. So, just read a little section of that, which was published on the 7th of January. For the last few years, I've made a conscious decision to work more in the public realm, whether that's literally in the streets, online, or in the mainstream media. I saw this as a way of critiquing the elitist nature of many of our arts, arts institutions and of reaching people from all sorts of backgrounds who would never normally set foot in a gallery. This is something the Glasgow Effect has clearly already achieved. I see it as the role of the artist to stick their neck out in order to raise important social and political issues. And although I've had to deal with a barrage of personal attacks making myself into a middle class punch bag, I don't regret the decision to use the title The Glasgow Effect. I was aware of the issues around class this would throw up, but I wanted to expose the tale of two cities, which is highlighted by the two similar-sounding phrases, the Glasgow miracle, which is commonly used in the art world to refer to Glasgow's post-industrial renaissance as a global centre of culture, and the Glasgow effect, which, as we all know, is its antithesis in PR terms. I have long been amazed how little of the art this city chooses to spotlight in its major venues has the self-reflexive ability to acknowledge or deal with this. 
As a citizen of Glasgow, I sincerely hope that the discussion provoked by the Glasgow Effect will be constructive for our city if it helps in any way to highlight persistent inequalities and to democratise the art world. We are still faced with problems and contradictions which simply should not exist in a city with such a proud socialist heritage. I will conclude <laughs> with one by using what this once-in-a-lifetime platform to flag up just one of these, which, as a public transport geek, is a personal bugbear. Having campaigned for the last six and a half years for the renationalisation of our railways with Bring Back British Rail, I would love to see the people of Glasgow take a step towards transport equality by standing out and reclaiming our shambolic rip-off bus network from First Group and the other profiteering bus companies, which many people simply cannot afford to use. I've got a year to help do it, so who's with me? Step forward, bus geeks. <laughs> Watch this space. Okay, thank you very, very much everybody. Um, that was um, very powerful. We wanted to do that so that we were all talking from the same place. And um, before we just kind of go into the discussion, I want to just uh, try um, just to get a little bit of a sense, before we go into kind of big statements um, and questions, just to get a little bit of feedback on what you've heard, what you've noticed about, just to, just to get a little bit of kind of something going, you know, what did it make you feel, what do you, just from what you've heard just now, has it changed things just before we go into the kind of meaty stuff? Anybody, it's called Statements of Meaning, it's a, it's a critical feedback process used in the arts world, but it just, I use it all the time, but it just gets people just talking a little bit without making big statements just yet. Any, anybody? Can I say something? Yeah, please. Uh, the idea that you stand by saying, you know, you, you like the idea of being called the Glasgow Effect. Um, something that some of us know, Glaswegians know, a lot of loved ones and relatives die in that process and suffer. Mm. You know, and if it was coming to a, or if you went to a Jewish city, would you be brave enough to call it the Holocaust Effect? That's a provocative way to start. Mm. <laughs> 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 wasn't quite what I was looking for, but, uh, um, but okay. I thought it was great. <laughs> well, it's, it, 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 there's a part in the there's a part in my article where I talk about that and simply just say, for a, for a minority, the term Glasgow effect is mechanical, describing how industrial scale poverty finds expression through the population's infamously poor health. But for most people in Glasgow, the city's effects play out in the creaky stages of unnaturally short lives punctuated by incidents of violence, social exclusion and the all-consuming dread of lifelong economic insecurity while their entire existences are caricatured, vilified and misrepresented in every form of art, media and culture you can think of. So. Yeah, and um, can I just, just for a little bit of clarity about the Glasgow effect, um, now we may have some public health people here and we deliberately didn't get public health people here tonight, but I just want to say a couple of things about the Glasgow Effect, which is that the Glasgow Effect came out of a piece of research that from um, the Glasgow uh, Centre for Population Health, where they were looking at the reason, looking at a, a number of cities across the UK, including Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, Glasgow, that had a very similar demographic 
Um, uh, and same sorts of class issues, but the issue for the Glasgow effect is that the health impact was having an impact across all aspects of the demographic, and nobody can understand why specifically in Glasgow that is the case. So, so does that make sense? So it's not, it's not just, it is about poverty, but it's not just about poverty, it's the fact that the whole of the city of Glasgow, the health across all sectors of society, is worse than it is in other cities in the UK. So I just want to, and, and, the, and, and, when, and there, are, there are more than 17 different scientific theories for why that reason might be. Some of them, some of them around kind of emotion and com confidence and so on. Some of them around self-esteem. Some of them are sort of infinitely more scientific. But I just wanted to say, just kind of acknowledge that it's actually quite a specific term. Just say that. Before we go into the discussion, because I know you're all ready, I would just really love any sense of what you've noticed about anything today that's different to what you thought or expected, or just responding to, yeah. Loki sound kind of apologetic, and uh, I think like a lot of people, maybe even often one, uh, made the same assumptions that the record is, um, and maybe realises that those assumptions weren't that well informed. Yeah. Uh, I think it's quite quite helpful to hear him speak in, in that way. Thank you. That's lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. <clears throat> I think to hear the origin of it as <clears throat> the the Geddes statement. I think global. Act local is actually clarifying. I mean, although I know your own text, I was taking away with all the other stuff as well. I think that's clarifying it much more for me. Right? And I actually wish you just stuck with that title. Right? <laughs> I just add an extra bit, and that is that why is local Glasgow? I mean, why not just a little bit of Glasgow? Because mm -hmm. actually, actually, I think that's more what Geddes was talking about, but we can really get on to it. Just one or two other comments, just like that. Yep. Um, the, the, the stuff that Loki wrote was, and they get caught following something right for a few years, and it is, uh, it was a sort of ongoing theme. This was a sort of headline that brought that theme to a sort of force. So I think a lot of the kind of criticism of the Loki thing was more criticism of the people that commented on Loki things and got the thing that what he was saying was what he'd been saying a year before, he'd been saying a year before, he'd been saying it every time. Questions up the Cave Scotland in the past and before. Mm -hmm. So it, it was in a context of this was a sort of culmination of a debate that went on for a lot of things, a lot of headlines, and some debate has been more And can I also point out the guy on the back about the Holocaust thing? Well, I was a young, rebellious artist who thought that the sex business was a gas, you know, after yeah. something was being asked. Mm -hmm. I would like to comment on yeah, that. Please <laughs> just go. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think in terms of this phrase, the Glasgow effect, it's important to separate out what it's referring to yeah. and the catchphrase itself, because the catchphrase itself, like you said, there's already 17 different theories as to why this um, increased premature mortality happens in Glasgow, but what it is is a catchphrase that is being used to fuel an industry of overpaid academics coming to this city, writing countless support reports, getting paid huge salaries, and doing fuck all about poverty. And that's exactly what the Glasgow effect is. And that is what I want to challenge. 
And that is what I want to draw attention to. So, I'm, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but that's, that's, another way, that's another way of looking at it, you know, and that's what I want to expose. It's that people are just talking, 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 and they're not actually doing anything. These problems are getting worse. And Ellie, you're partly, you're partly right there, and, and I think, you know, there has always been a Glasgow industry about talking about, about Glasgow. I mean, Stanley Baxter's Pawiamo Glasgow, if people can remember that and hear the, the repeats of that, that's a satire on a professor of sociology coming to Glasgow and taking the piss out of Glaswegians with fancy terms. Mm. Now, there's a huge amount of money in public health in Glasgow, a huge relative to other public services, but it's not quite fair to say academics coming to this city. There are academics mostly in this city who are mining an industry that we can then talk about mm. the fact of, you know, um, what's it doing. The, the Glasgow effect, to its sense, as, as um, Ruan was saying, came from the Glasgow Centre for Population Health, and they're just invented by people like Dave Walsh and various other um, researchers, and then um, propagated by Phil Hanlon, um, a professor of public health, um, and a whole host of other people, Harry Burns, and there's even a book by Carol Craig on Glasgow, which is then popularised more to the extent people think Carol Craig invented the Glasgow effect, which she um, didn't. What we've got to talk about here a little bit is, is, is the perils of success to an extent. So the Glasgow effect was trying to get to the point that we already knew poverty kills people. We don't need to spend a single penny of public money on that. That's, that's self-evident. What's happening, happening in Glasgow is that something in the culture of Glasgow adds, adds a missing ingredient. And so this then leads to people saying, the Glasgow effect kills poor people earlier. It doesn't. It affects every demographic of the city. So if you are a rich person or an affluent person coming from London or the South East, <coughs> within 20 years, you, you embrace the demographics of, of the Glasgow effect. There's something going on here. And people think it's about, basically, the psychological responses we have to de-industrialisation and what happened from the mid-70s to, to mid-80s. In, in Glasgow. But what happens, you see, is when people then start referring to it, like, like how life is complicated. We all refer to things at times, because we can't help it, we have to, that we basically don't understand. You know, we talk about, you know, the SNP, or we talk about the Tories, or we talk about the bedroom tax, or things like that. And so the Glasgow effect has become summarised to lots of people about Glaswegians are killed by poverty. And so what's happened is, the perils of success mean uh, a theory that began to try and break out the pathologising of Glaswegians has ended up pathologising Glasgow, has ended up making poor people sound like, again, the victims of all these broader trends when it tried not to. Now that, I think, is something that is really, really problematic. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't give you a chance to take power. It doesn't give you a chance to talk about structural inequality. And this has become so problematic as it turns full circle that the people who invented the theory try not to use the term the Glasgow effect now because they know they know they've ended up kind of like creating you know something that kind of devours its own children basically. So that's that you know that's a success in a way, but, but it's a problem. And also as Ellie said, I mean Glasgow Centre for Population Health, which uh, as a you know disclaimer my partner worked for for three years a couple of years ago, it it hasn't addressed from this world class research what the hell we do with it. You know, so poverty kills, but something in our culture kills as well. Right, great. We lead the world on it. What do we do about it? That's the question. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Do any of you want to answer this? I, I was going to say um, I agree with Ellie's assessment um, 
about there being a poverty industry, essentially. Um, an example, just think about this for a minute, right? The third sector in Scotland, right, is comprised of hundreds of different organisations all carrying out different work, some of it creative industry type work, right? Is worth five billion pounds a year. Five billion pounds a year. So it's as big as the food and drink industry. It's recession proof. Do you know how many people it employs? <coughs> 138,000 people. And it relies on the altruism of 1.6 million volunteers. Now just think about that for a wee minute. This is a booming part of our economy. And a lot of it is about managing poverty. It's not about eradicating poverty. So that's why we struggle with the nuance. That's why the terminology gets lost in translation. Because there is no terminology, there is no language to cross the divide and communicate effectively because too many jobs depend on the status quo as it is, whether we're independent, whether we're part of the union. Now, when you grow up in a housing scheme or you grow up in a poor community, you might not have all the terminology and language and understand the map of where all these organisations are, but you get a very, very strong sense because every time you open your mouth, and say you don't want something to happen, it happens anyway. You get a very strong sense that nobody gives a fuck what you think or what you say. And that is where the apathy comes from. And the apathy, the lack of political engagement, the lack of political awareness is a big contributing factor as to why the status quo continues. Because the only way it will change is when people are critically engaged and demand that it changes. Part of my frustration with the Glasgow effect as a project was it didn't seem to be dealing with any of these things, which, in people who come through my experience, these are pertinent issues. And I know no every arts project can deal with these things. It was just because it was called the Glasgow effect, I thought that's what it was going to be about. That was where my assumption came in. You know? <clears throat> Do you want to say something? I've got something to say. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah, go on. Oh, yeah, on you go. <laughs> well, I just, I, I'm just, just want to pick up one wee thing, which is that we don't have the, don't have the about the language thing, which is that actually when Katie was talking, she was talking about texture and complexity and empathy, um, and and that kind of language, that language everybody's got, surely those the kind of human language. I mean, I, I mean, I totally get that you have to stand up to things, but the language of being human, which was one of the things that really upset me about the whole thing, was, you know, and just respecting individuals, whatever side of the argument you're on, that that was for me one of the one of the things <coughs> I found really difficult to connect into. Yeah, yeah. Just to feed off of that, I think that um, similarly, I was frustrated because it felt like a lot of the rationalisation of the response I followed and understood, um, but then. If you follow that to its logical conclusion, then that means that any sort of um, stereotypical middle class response of not understanding the experience of poverty and thus doing perhaps some, you know, making some decisions which might not be accessible to certain people or might actually cordon off arts from people, shouldn't that also be then accessible? Because, you know, we're all human and we make mistakes and we're try- if you're trying to stretch beyond your experience, that makes it difficult. Now, I don't think that's completely foolproof because 
by virtue of being more privileged, you should have more access to understanding um, the experience of others and being able to have more access to education which provides you those tools. Um, but then at the same time, I think that you know, if we're going to forgive people for, at the end of the day, throwing a lot of abuse Ellie's way, then we also need to forgive the fact that people are human and they make mistakes. The problem is that some of those mistakes sometimes do end up in perpetuating things like the Glasgow effect, and it's not just about you know funding getting lost; it's about people's lives. Um, but it's, but I would still go back to the, at the end of the day, being human and that 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 empathy for the other and the empathy for perhaps you know not jumping to conclusions, not jumping to judgment, which social media has no elegance in whatsoever, and, and perhaps why we're sitting here today. Yeah. Can I just respond and then I'll, and then I'll throw it to that? Yeah. Maybe Jerry or one of you 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 know. There's a very, in fact, we were talking about it the other day, Tam. There's a very famous kind of triangle diagram, which is someone's theory putting forward that once you uh, meet your basic needs in life, then you jump up a level, and then you start. Right. So you start. Hi. So let's let's take a theory like that. Um, one of the issues. No, it's good. Sorry, I thought this was kind of like the progressive no, no. left in Sorry. Scotland where we no, superimpose no. Edmund Light on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Is this no fit? No. Um, aye, right, okay. So, 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 so this, idea, this idea that just anybody in any kind of background has access to emotions like gratitude and tolerance and empathy is just patently false. Because when you come, when you live in the daily grind of poverty, then your whole experience is shaped by that. And that's why you get xenophobia in communities. I'm not making excuses for people who hate other people, but a lot of it is misunderstanding, picking the wrong targets for your frustration, and people just don't have the time or the energy. I mean, part of the whole process and experience of living in these communities is to spend every last bit, every penny you've got on things that ease chronic stress that also kill you slowly and painfully, you know, that's why people make jokes about the Illuminati, that's why people make jokes about people who go to, it's, it's a way of just punching up, kind of, futi- it's, a, it's futile, it's a way of punching up, there's no serious kind of judgement going on, it's just like, you know. But then I think the problem does, be- it does, it becomes when that punching up turns into a serious thing, I mean, I like... I don't mind my sister making fun of me for, for being a vegetarian and ordering my veggie box. I couldn't give two shits. But the problem is when that's used as a marker of difference and then my sister uses her buying, I don't know, I don't even know what she buys, but you know, buying something that is patently unhealthy and bad because she sees that as a part of her identity and her own personal. When we get to that stage, we have to realise that that sort of divisive punching up is not doing us any favours. Yeah. Can I just make a wee bridge between Rowan and, and Awoke there? And that, I mean, innately we should all be able to have some sense of love and insight and empathy. But but lots of us at points fail that. Probably all fail sometimes. And I think Awoke, actually, you're right. And it's it's more complex than that. In that it's not just about again poverty. The fact that some of the issues we have in this city and this country about um, empathy deficits are people with loads of money. You know. People who swore around not caring about the fact that you know one third of the city is written off, or the issues Celtic and Rangers, the worst 
of Celtic and Rangers fans have, have each other. I happened to put my head above the parapet this, uh, this morning and wrote a piece on Graham Spears getting sacked from the Herald. And actually, the hate, the hate mail in, on Twitter was kind of low-key, actually. Kind of low-key. And it was mostly, actually, much, much more affirming. For, but somebody said to me, and I thought this was funny, they said to me, because you lived in a council house 40 years ago, you think you know, you think you're in touch. You're not. Well, actually, it was 25 years ago I lived in a council house. But, but the point about that kind of trying to bring us down, you know, is, is there's a problem there. And it touches on your point you made, um, uh, Katie, about the silences in Scotland. We've got so much noise and we don't listen to the silences. We don't notice, notice the silences. We don't notice the gaps in public life and, and the missing voices. And, you know, to me still, the referendum... Uh, with all its faults and problems, was a cathartic, wonderful moment of the missing Scotland coming, coming back. Mm. This city that had one-third voting levels uh, for all the previous Westminster elections, we bemoaned the fact it had a 75% turnout. The lowest in the country, but you know, it was more than double. Um, so I just think it's, it's complex, and lots of us bear this transition of, we grew up, I don't mean in a negative bear, I mean that we, we've experienced this transition of growing up with working class parents who supported us and nurtured us and nourished us, and our lives are different now that we are middle class and there's all the kind of complexities about that, but we don't want to buy into like not not having some link and connection to a different kind of society, to not buying the claptrap, to not believing in, you know, the way politics are in Westminster. And that's complicated. That's really complicated. And where is that where is that articulated in our politics, in mm. our culture, or our public life? I think, I mean, it's massively rich, as you can see. I think the views are really extraordinary, just hearing the complexity of all of that. And, of course, there's quite a few things that we haven't even touched on that have been brought up in all of those conversations. So please feel free to come in with questions now or, or, or ideas. Um, the lady at the back. Yeah, of course. No, 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 you don't need to have a thing. You can ask questions too. Ellie, were you surprised um, by how, just quite how large the whole following of it or the commenting of it became? Did you expect that kind of uh, sort of audience almost? No, because I make Facebook events all the time and it's yeah. just like tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> So, not no. I don't. I mean, I don't think. And and people are saying like that they set out to um, make a deliberate controversy. No. Um, but I knew what I was doing was was addressing some difficult systemic issues and it was no it was, a, it, was it was no <laughs> I don't think you know and nobody could create that you know nobody could create that it was just a perfect storm and people say it was also because it was bank holiday it was the beginning of the year it was cold nothing was weather on. nothing was going on like um, with that in mind do you think that this in a sense might be that this reached um, a certain demographic, or a certain class, or a certain group, or a community, whatever you want to call it, that otherwise might not have been aware of it, or your work, or similar work, in fact. 
Yeah, I mean, I know, well, I have my theory about why it happened, and it's because normally when I would make an event, or anybody in the arts would make an event, they would put a venue, whether it's a Glad Cafe or CCA or, or somewhere, whereas I made this event and I just put Glasgow. And so anybody on Facebook who ever had any connection with Glasgow, liked Glasgow, been to Glasgow, lived in Glasgow, whatever, I think it had a chance of showing up on their radar. So immediately that just cuts across the entire um, demographic of the city and meant that it was just on the radar of people who, who, who'd never had any contact with, with art at all. And that's a really great thing. And, you know, like I said in my statements, that a lot of this, and, you know, prepared to put myself on the line to to draw attention to the elitism that prevails within the art world, which makes me so angry, and also the apathy and the lack of, total lack of engagement in any serious social or political issues in most of the art that I see, not just in this city, but across the whole of the UK, like, and, so, you know, I'm trying to address that in, in, the, in the funding scheme that I'm trying to set up, which is actually the idea is to use renewable energy to create a, funding, a new funding scheme for radical art and activist projects that will try to um, create systemic change within arts funding to encourage more political practice, because at the moment, you know, the way things are going... People are doing the opposite, and there's there's more there's there's uh, with cuts to public spending, which of course is is is, is across um, the board, but but also affecting the arts. The alternative is always to go more commercial, to compromise what it is you believe in, and to not take so many risks. And so we've got. We've got all of these kind of issues that need to be debated now in mm-hmm. out um, out in the public realm, and at the same time we've kind of got a, sh- a, sh- a shutting down of yes. of voices and the role that culture can play in mm. in inspiring people and and giving them a voice. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I'm, as a sort of artist as well, I thought, oh my God, if, if I put myself in that position, mm. I was like, played and done a similar event, and suddenly it had gained that kind of thing. I'm sure, actually, for most of the art I've seen recently, people would have exactly the same kind of attitude towards it. But then I was brought back to the concept that, you know, this was defined as a public art piece, and then what responsibility do we have as creators or artists or designers have in taking that word public and that informing the piece of work that we're doing? And what responsibility does creating public art have? You know, do we think about the audience as public? And in which case, should we be thinking about the largest reach that piece can have, and thus what we create for those people? Thank you. Uh, I, I was yeah. gonna I was gonna pick up on just uh, um, I think one of the reasons why the it's difficult for culture and art and let's be careful when we talk about culture and art we're talking about culture as commodity culture just the way we talk to each other do you know what I mean and how our customs and all that so that's all fine 
that's all just the way it is, right? But in terms of the in terms of the in terms of the way that we actually try and you know pour culture into communities and get people into it, the whole process of doing that is part of the, what sows the seeds of resentment. Because what that means is, and it was part of the reason why I jumped to the conclusion about Ellie being parachuted in, um, was that arts organisations are given. Um, I lots met you before. I was probably <laughs> talking this same thing. It was probably like this some fucking party for a ketamine like that. Bobby! I'm teetotal now. I've got green Bobby tea then. in my bag, you know. But um, anyway, get back to my point. Big arts organisations, tentpole arts organisations, which I couldn't name here because it would be unemployable, um, are given uh, millions of pounds a year and they are given arbitrary. Uh, things that they need to go and do in order to justify getting that money. So one year it might be use or no uh, sorting out disused land. If you want money, do that. So an arts organisation that's usually set up to deal with one kind of art then has to reorientate itself and start doing the disused land stuff. Right. So that's one problem. Second problem is there's no communication between these arts organisations when they go into communities like the Gorbals, like Cran Hill, like Pollock. Arden, Darnley, boom, boom, boom. I could list them all day. So what they do is they parachute in and they parachute their people in and they install their own temporary hierarchy which ignores the natural order of things in the community. So they don't negotiate entry into the community which is just best practice, right? So that just passes people off because people are there in that community. The artist that lives in that community is like, who the fuck are these people? And then, if they happen to talk with a certain type of accent, that's where the judgment happens. So that's one of the problems with that. And then the other component to this is the social justice love in SNP government um, that we all know and love. Uh, obviously, we had a succession of council tax freezes last year in Glasgow. In order to adjust to that reality, Glasgow City Council had to shave a certain amount of money off of community budgets, right? So they core-funded the Archies, for example, which suddenly is off the map for whatever reason. Um, but as well as that, they had to cut around about 20% over the course of three years of some of the smallest local organisations that deal with arts and culture and engage young people. They had to cut those budgets. Now that benefits the bigger organisations that can absorb that, the organisations that have somebody who specifically goes and finds the funding. But most of these organisations don't. And £15,000 is enough to fund two part-time workers for a year, for example. So when we're talking about figures and sums of money... Aye, aye. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? So when people are... When, when we're talking about culture and communities, we have to understand the mechanics of it. We too often talk in these kind of loose lefty terminologies, right? The actual mechanics of it, the mechanics of privilege, the mechanics of how how its funding is diverted and, and where the cynicism and apathy comes from. It is very can, real. I, can I just say one thing? Is that it's not all organisations are not all bad. <laughs> and they're not all bad at it. Some people are quite good at it, just like you've just said, some people are, you know, so it's not all. I just want what to one do you work for? <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's 
not about good or bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not. I know you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not being that simplistic sy- about that. No, I'm just, I know you're saying it's systemic. I totally get that. Totally mm. get that. Gentleman at the back. So, uh, Stephen, what's my mathematician? So quite far removed from this cultural and arts world. I only peripherally noted <coughs> this Glasgow effect story. Had not gotten into it, but came here tonight mainly out of curiosity. Now, Mike Russell, former education minister, gave his inaugural lecture at the University of Glasgow last night, Professor of Culture and Governance. Now, interesting that those two words were put together. And one of the things he highlighted as he was reflecting or looking at where we are, how we got here, and where we might go, he specifically stated that I've got it here beside me that. The current culture of appointment to public bodies must change. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the need for the National Recruitment Agency. And I think that these types of ideas might help speak to this sense of democratization mm-hmm. of these bodies. So that's something I throw out. Uh, I, I'm sort of curious about the data I've accrued over the years in the sort of the middle class academic scientific side, where I can sample students, faculty, visitors and propose, or propose questions around the Glasgow thing and discover that most of them have never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So what's particularly interesting is that it's clear this audience is well familiar with the, the issue, but the extent to which it's percolated through the sort of academic world is not clear to me. I regularly pose questions like, what is the proportion of children in Glasgow living in relative poverty? And generally I get looks of amusement and confusion when you push forward data like one-third. Now, there's a PhD student currently at the university. She's born and bred uh, in Glasgow. And she's studying the health, uh, I think it's mortality around heart attacks. And she's puzzled to discover, and I'm discussing this with her just yesterday, that the remarkable difference in data between Edinburgh and Glasgow. And this is a mystery for her. And I said, have you heard of the Glasgow effect? Answer, no. So again, I wonder to what extent this is a bubble, to some extent, that we're living in, in this environment, and that this issue of the Glasgow fight hasn't really actually become common knowledge even yet. So that's sort of a question. Is it it, common knowledge? I feel like it's common knowledge, but it's just been accepted. Uh, That's my own personal sort of feeling. When I, I was really lucky enough to have modern studies teachers who were really eager to educate all of us in such a way that we were taught about the poverty that we were experiencing and part of that was measuring up what the life expectancies of Coatbridge was and comparing it to you know, your stereotypical bears down or no guy um, and we were just taught that's what we're up against but we were never really taught how we fight it um, and I really appreciate those teachers for being able to impart that sort of self-reflexive information to, uh, to the students who were in that classroom um, but I think that there's a, a certain sort of apathy especially in my own community Perhaps even just down to my own family, that's the way it is. So, one other thing I just want to feed in, because I've been enjoying recently this phenomenon of things being written in what we would call modern Scots. So, there was this uh, issue where the National printed a front page and that generated some, uh, some interest. You yourself have written some articles which I've enjoyed reading. And let me make the following statement This is the language I grew up with. And I read your articles and discover words mm. that I'd never seen written down before. So one of the things that I'm sure of, quite clear of, is there's a substantial portion of children across these lands who enter classrooms in primary school and are robbed of that recognition that the language of home 
which is the familiar, is not legitimate. So actually, I've got a strong sense that some of the issues around what we're talking about here is this sense of immediately, straight up, day one of education for these kids, something that happens in your home is not legitimate. And that delegitimatizing of their experience, I think, is a profound and fundamental effect on development and psychology. So that's another sort of thing I want to throw out. Mm. Yeah, just to, just to follow week. up on that, I think that that's 100% true. Um, my, from my own experience, um, I just went to your standard Roman Catholic primary school in Coatbridge, but every child in my primary school from the age of five got elocution lessons. When you went into the next primary, only the kids who were at the top of their classrooms got elocution lessons moving forward, so that was around about 10% of the school. And it was the selection of students they had decided were going to succeed in life who were taught how to talk properly in order to be respected. That's a systematic like devaluing and, and oppression of working class culture and practice. And that was only about, you know, 17 years ago. I mean, the, the Glasgow effect is absolutely well known and referenced in, in a kind of, you know, a bubble, um, a self-contained community academic circles, particularly it's become a mantra um, in, in public health and of course then, as you were saying earlier, it's really, really become uh, something people have gained you know, international uh, reputations on and so on. But what, what's missing is something about psychology and it's something that's missing from most of our politics and public life, an understanding of psychology of power and powerlessness. Most people in this city don't feel very powerful about most things, even most local things, and there's this missing issue of Agency in the city. How, mm. how do you affect change in the city? I mean, I mean, to my mind, you know, I'm going to just say it very black and white. But only a lunatic would think they would do it by, you know, going through Glasgow City Council or becoming a councillor <laughs> or so on. That's, you know, it's a complex organisation. It does some things well, you know, it does, mm. and 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 <coughs> problem cultures in there. And the one thing we haven't touched on at all in this discussion yet that is absolutely paramount to how this city runs and doesn't run is gender. So um, years ago, I did a project on the future of the city, which was um, trying to actually basically get things like the Glasgow effect and the Glasgow miracle into the same conversation. It was the fact that public health people wanted to talk about the Glasgow effect. The marketing tourist people wanted it off the agenda because some Italian tourist walking down Soppy Hall Street felt they'd get stabbed. And so he thought, both these stories are true. Actually, your chance of being stabbed walking down Stockwell Hill Street is next to zero, and your chance of tourists. And gender is part of this, because the people that are the activists in the city are mostly women. When we ran the events, we ran 40 events across the city uh, for our funders, uh, all done as nice little matrix, so it was all properly represented. Two thirds of the people that came were women. Most of them were activists. And the answer to the Glasgow effect, this is on the 2001 census, not, not the, the latest census, is if you go to what was called Shettleston Man, which became again another mythical creation in the bubble of the, the personification of the problem, what was the answer to Shettleston Man? It was actually Shettleston Woman to an extent, because the gap between Shettleston Man and Shettleston Woman in life expectancy was over 11 years, nearly half, over, sorry, nearly double the life expectancy gap between men and women in this country. So it kind of looked like, and again, I'm just saying this can be slightly frivolous, but it's usually serious issues. Shettleston women put up all her life with Shettleston man, etc., etc., and when he died, you know, they got a wee flip from him. So there is something in about how, how people manage the social change, the kind of deindustrialized change, that again, summarizing it, women per se, working class women, in most of the private of Glasgow, have done it a bit more successfully than men. Yeah.
and I'm aware of the journalist and I'm aware of the daily record so I went into that completely knowingly knowing that I would have access to a platform where I could pursue my own agenda right so these are decisions that we all have to make from time to time I would imagine that the journalist didn't write the headline um, uh, and I would imagine the person who did write the headline probably looks at it now and realises that they also made an assumption as well but I think it's, I've learned to try and take instances of these sort of stories where I feel like the paper's misrepresenting something. I try to now take them in isolation in each instance that it happens because I'm already extrapolating too many things from chaos to make sense of the world for myself that I'm actually further and further out of touch with the reality of the situation which is there's human error going on all the time. We take hundreds of prejudice into every situation that we go into. There's enormous inauthenticity in the left in this country just now. Enormous, inauthentic personas being adopted by people, signalling to other people that they are cool, hey, yeah, right on, load of shite, you know, <laughs> load of shite. And that's the left, do you know what I mean? So you can see why people are attracted to mere reactionary, populist figures across the world just now because they represent they're there with the comfort and arms open like that the lefties are all after them not they're outraged about everything and and then and then and then I know that's feeding into something else but it all comes <coughs> from that it all all that sense of drawn conclusions so that one headline then gets added on to the next headline and the next headline one of the problems with news the biggest problem I think with news in Scotland is audience bias because you can't control the news because that's a dangerous road to go down a critically engaged public who can discern fact for fiction, truth for bullshit, advertising for editorial. Um, that's the only safety net that you have, the only safety valve that you, you can, could have and, and should have. And unfortunately, the press, the print media, is outrageous and fucking annoying as it is. We have to adjust emotionally to that reality or become journalists. They might not be around for so long. Yeah. Um, and then, but also just to say, in, in response to that, we have to emotionally adjust. But like, just to go back to something you were saying previously, 
a lot of the folks that we that a lot of the folks who might be more susceptible to um, reading that and buying into it um, might not always emotionally have that space and time to make that judgment call, um, which is again why we're here today. Mm. Mm. That's
Because I'm concerned, I've been here 30 years, you've been six, you're at least it's fine. But putting in a London artist obviously means you're not like us, she's right. one of them. Yep. Thousands of pounds, public on the money, London, get her, and, and off they went. I used to be a journalist, I don't know what they do. But I thought it was quite funny, it's half decent joke having the chips up there, but they don't like crazy at all. As a question though, it started off being Glasgow, fine. Then Greater Glasgow and then Strathclyde. I wondered what the constraint is because Strathclyde would include all the towns in Ayrshire and Lanarkshire. You can go into Roman if you want a freebie. You can go to the islands. That's not that constraint. I would freak out if I got told you're locked in Glasgow for a year. I would lose the plot. So getting up off to Loughmoney, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Thank you. Want to go in? It actually, it actually went the other way. Yeah. In my application, it says Strathclyde, sure, and then I tightened it up. Um, so <laughs> I am makes it more interesting for me because I think Yeah, but I do want to say something about the chips actually, because I mean, I am a Glaswegian artist. Thanks for adopting me, those of you who have. I've been here for um, since two thousand and eight. One thing I noticed the first day I was here when I had a portion of chips from Blue Lagoon on Socky Hall Street was this all this saturated fat on the paper. I used to live in Nottingham, that's where I lived before I moved here. All this white saturated fat on the paper. And I was like, what, what the hell is this? Like, oh, it's cooked in animal fat. And I was, because I'm a vegetarian, obviously. <laughs> and, um, Hello, I, 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 um, I just thought, oh, it's disgusting. But also, that it could have a huge positive health impact if all of the chips in Glasgow were cooked in unsaturated vegetable oil rather than being cooked in saturated fat like it just struck me that like this was just totally ridiculous and <laughs> but I mean I, I would I, I would I would like to see what whether those academics researching the Glasgow effect have ever gone into detail on you've that. Come, you've got to come to a Glasgow football match and see the, the, the massive range of food options you don't get, you know. Um, you can't <laughs> have a healthy food option at a Glasgow football match. Macaroni <laughs> <laughs> See the, um, the, on, on the topic of food, um, well, the, it's linked, I kinda, it's linked in many ways, at least in my experience, to mental health and well-being. Um, so the Scottish Government a few weeks ago announced £54 million to increase access to mental health services, particularly young people, which was a week after they froze council tax again, which places services like that under a lot of strain. Um, one of the things the money isn't going to be used for is standing up to big food and big pharma in terms of the toxic food chain. The reason people eat those foods, it's because they're cooked in things that are addictive, and so people get into these terrible lifestyle habits, and they associate that with comfort, so the things that they look forward to are killing them, and that's what poverty is, you know, somebody might dip in and have a wee ironic bag of chips from time to time, or gourmet fish supper, uh, for other people, 
they're walking into the chippy and in their head it's going like that, I don't want to do this. I'm fed up eating this junk, I know it's killing me, and I can't fucking stop. I'm so stressed out, I'm going to smoke a fag halfway through eating a chippy. Now this is funny, and it is jovial, but it is very real. It is very real. It's very real when you look at the health statistics as evidenced by the Glasgow effect and the impact that has on public health services. These diseases of affluence, well, the biggest problem of consumption that we have is that we're all eating too much when famine and starvation used to be the problem. And that does link in and feed into this idea of narratives, identities that we take on for ourselves. But it's not a kind of jovial thing, like, oh, I'm good, men when you look at me fucking eating others of chips, way. That might be a bravado as a veneer. But we laugh at these things because we are powerless, we feel powerless, and we're laughing at that horrible truth, like the idea of Glasgow being the most violent city, which actually isn't true anymore. So that's evidence that we can actually, when we look these problems in the <coughs> eye and talk about the difficult truths, we can actually make a change, but we just need to get to the grip of the fact the facts first. Yeah. Thank you. Take it back. still rambling on okay. so that gives me something to do um, but yeah it, it is still rambling on I mean just in terms of how that is panning out I'm, I'm hoping to resolve things um, this month so I can make another statement about it um, but yeah the thing about um, the thing that I'm most kind of upset about, I suppose, is is the way that, uh, I mean, I really, I've been teaching in art schools since, well, 2004 on and off, and I really believe that the art school, art education is the best ed- education that anybody could get, and it shouldn't just be accessible to a privileged minority, because one of the things that I teach my students is critical thinking skills, exactly the skills that you need to be able to look at that headline and think that's nonsense, to be able to decide, you know, like say with the advertising, what you are going to buy and what's actually healthy for you and what's, what's, what's going to kill you. Like, this education I see as being under threat by bigger systemic changes in higher education. I mean, what's happening in, in England with, with introduction of fees, like, one of the reasons I'm proud to teach in the Scottish higher education system is because it is still free, but who knows what's going to happen over the next um, 10 years as, as more and more um, cuts unfold. But, yeah, I, so I want the result of this um, project to, as I said, to, to 
to, to open up and to democratise these um, opportunities to more and more people, to more and more young people, so that they can have the opportunity to go to art school. They can um, have the opportunity to apply for arts funding, that it's not seen as something that's not for them, that it's seen as something that is accessible to anybody. I was just going to say that, you know, Woke said earlier, social justice loving SNP government, you know, we all love. And, you know, just let's cut through it. We all, well, not we all, but Scotland loves talking about social justice, but it doesn't, doesn't do it. You know, we've referenced the council tax. The council tax helps people in bigger houses, helps people with above average incomes. No tuition fees as a shibboleth. Scottish students come out of universities and colleges with massive debt. Whether we like it or not, actually, the terrible, terrible uh, loan system in England is actually more progressive in terms of the debt it leaves English students in, which is terrible, than the debt Scottish students have to pay back. And just a kind of final point, because it's not all the fault the Tories mm. or Westminster. I mean, you only need to look at the state of Scottish football, which is run by, you know, Scottish people and Scottish institutions. Glasgow School of Art one of the most prestigious organisations in this city, 2013, 2014. How many working class kids got access to that in that whole year's cohort? The answer is seven. Mm. Seven. And that's with, as you were alluding to as well, a brilliant head of access who had to work hard to get that seven in. Because the whole nature of those systems are, and, and kind of like education is going in the opposite direction. And no tuition fees isn't the answer to that. We need to talk about the discrimination and exclusion of working class kids and what goes on in our secondary and primary schools as well. Mm. So can I just check that I understood what you're saying? Um, so I, I'm just trying to understand this. So basically, if you were free from the constraints of having to apply for funding uh, such as was necessary in the terms of your probation, that would set you free to concentrate on resolving these kind of problems instead, is that what you're saying? What I would like to see, I'm going to be writing about this like over the next few months um, and I'm researching for it at the moment, but I, I would like to see a revolution in art education, like I would like to see these art schools go back, you know, break off from the universities to become independent um, organisations, again, that aren't bound by these ridiculous systems that are being handed down. So things like the research excellence framework, these, the, the pressures that are being put on academic staff to do research so that they can um, bring in money as a result, and losing sight of what the actual, what the point of the art school is, and the point of the art school is to empower and inspire young people, to give them the best possible start in life, and that, you know, more and more um, academics are coming into art schools, and just, the same thing with the, with the, with the bloody Glasgow effect, they're like parasites, you know, getting these huge salaries, um, sucking resources away from the, the student, uh, the students, and the um, their education. So, you know, uh, what I'm what I'm calling for is big, but like 
that's what I would like to see happen because and it relates to can I just say about Pat Kane's article which was about publishing the National which was about the citizens basic income and he started with an argument about the way in which um, you know there's going to be more unemployment in the future it's only going to increase in the way that we are going to have to transform society as technology replaces more and more of our jobs and an, an education that a creative education is a the a brilliant way of enabling people to gain their own independence, to be able to um, to to find a fulfilling way of spending their time, and like all of these things are, are, are linked up to me, and I, I don't want I don't want it to become more. I want yeah, I want it to become more and more democratised. It's not. Can, it's can, not. Is it? Can the working class kids have been excluded from this you know, Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, but the funding stream that, um, that Glasgow Tech was funded from wasn't actually an education specific one. In fact, it was quite specifically not allowed to have anything to do with education. So it wasn't really taking money from an academic funding body in order to achieve that. Is there, is there a reason why you didn't go through something like the AHRC for this? Or was that like conscious choice? I mean, I didn't want to do it at all. Okay. I just wanted to tick the box so I could keep my job. Like I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was quite clear in the statement that I made that I was put under this pressure to raise this money to tick this box so that I could keep my job. So I just wanted to do it in, in, in. I think you could go harder on that in the, the things that you write about this as you progress. I think you can make that point a lot clearer because whether it's as a result of being swamped by everything else or not, that point I think is lost. Because I've been trying to start this discussion for a while. It, it's there's quite a lot probably going on behind the scenes too. Need to that. So if you don't mind, can I just can I? Yeah, I I can I. Oh, I, I was going to say, um, see, I don't know, maybe read a few of my pieces, I don't know if you know my background as an artist or a performer or whatever. I started at the age of 16, I've released 17 albums, um, I have set up a youth project in collaboration with young people, the whole idea of it was to investigate could you hand over power to the young people and let them decide for themselves what their organisation is? Um, I never, ever, ever went for public money to do any of these things because I want to be able to stand up and actually scrutinise the structures of power. And I know that if I'm taking money off the government or an arm's length... I'm not saying this applies to every artist. I know a lot of artists who do great work so I, I, I'm talking about a personal decision for me. I don't want a limitation on my art. I could never take funding from a, a, a funding body, a government funding body, and then turn around and say, I'm doing this project that's going to investigate such and such, because I know if I really want to investigate such and such, I'm going right to the fucking source. It's the fucking government. It's the structures of power. And everywhere that they are, at local level, national level, and international level, and you simply cannot do that when your whole thing is funded from the government. You simply can't do it. You can talk about it. You can kind of hint to it. You can sound like you're doing it. But you can't really 
look and analyse and talk about honestly and openly the real problem, power, where it lies, that sort of stuff. Um, so I think, like, obviously we should recognise the limitations of what public funded art can deliver us and then see, does that actually fit our social justice objectives? Do we not need more artists outside of the public funded framework taking a stand? Make money off, uh, doing the doing the project off their own back. You know, like you're you're quite a prestigious artist. You're really well known. You have an international presence. A lot of people might just feel, you know, do it on your own time, which I think is fair enough. That's not my personal view, but I, I can understand where that point of view comes from. Don't mean to be controversial. <laughs> I love you. I think you're really nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I agree. I agree. Like. I, I totally agree, and I, I um, you know, that's why I teach, so I can subsidise my art practice, mm. so that I can do exactly what I want, and I don't have to be compromised by wherever this money is coming from, and, and or, or have to make something that I can sell, to make, you know, to make something commercial, mm. so, I mean, that's, that's why I would recommend to any artist to try to support their practice, to have a sustainable way of supporting their practice, like invigilating, <laughs> whatever you do, so that you can say what you want to say and you don't have your hands tied. I think that, just to, just to quickly comment on this, I think that it's really interesting that we're now starting to talk about education and arts education specifically, but I would like to expand that to cover education generally. Like, personally, if we want to start talking about politics, like, the focus on university education, in my opinion, is, is you know, completely, in, in, even in this instance about art school education, being able to take that out of those institutions altogether and have education at a local level and for all sorts of different requirements for society, treating university a degree as a panacea. I mean, I left university and couldn't really find a job for over a year, um, and I felt like I probably deserved a job because I had been told that you'll go to university, you'll get a degree, and when you leave you'll get a job and then that'll be your place of your life and you'll be fine. That's not the case. Um, and so just to like, I think that we've also got to, just one of the things I noted when the Creative Scotland statement was being read out, was one of the first things they note is that Ellie has a master's degree, thus she deserves this funding. That's mm. what it said to me. Mm. And so, like, that sort of reverence for those degrees and that reverence for those letters after your name, mm. and, like, if we really want to interrogate, like, that sort of, that, that, that legitimacy, that's not to say that Creative Scotland's at fault in that. It's a societal thing, a systemic thing. Then we need to start saying, well, actually, those degrees after your name, they're not actually that important. Mm. Like, let's see some more substance to, to education and how education can be interpreted. Thank you. Agreed. Thank you. We've got about five questions that people, with people, so I'm going to go around and get folks to say, so yes. I'll try and be succinct. No, you go for it, go for it. And just a, a few things, I think um, people's initial reaction to, call it the early effect now, probably because it's I think it, if you look at what was on the page, I, I feel that a lot of what you said tonight, had that been expressed even in some sort of bullet form on your page, I think you'd have saved yourself a lot of heartache. I think you speak very well, there's a lot of sincerity in what you're saying, um, and I relate to a lot of what you're saying, that I think it's really good, I work in a rehab and parcel, um, I think art should be accessible, and um, I think it should be, I think there's tokenism, like you said, about going to Gale Game, people just dip in and out, and I think people thought that that's what you were doing, they see the chips and they think it's that ironic, eating the chips as you say, you know, mm. and I think it kind of bams people up, if you want to use a Glasgow term. Um, <laughs> so I think that 
people misconstrued a lot of what you said, and I agree with what you said about the newspapers. I hate tabloids. I don't have to tell you for a reason. I think it's a lot of shit. Um, but they just jumped on what you gave them. You gave yeah. them chips. You gave them the Glasgow effect. You gave them stuff about, mm. you know, I, I got funding from Creative Scotland, and, and they just ran with it. So I think you set yourself up slightly, and I think it's a shame because you seem like a nice person with good stuff to say. Um, the other thing I'll jump on is I'm an artist as well. People, I don't, I didn't perceive a gender based reaction, I didn't even necessarily perceive a class based reaction, it was that bit about Glasgow art, you know, it, it'll be, people perceived it as it'll be an achievement to be stuck in Glasgow and still be a successful artist. I know loads of artists based in Glasgow that rarely exhibit out with Glasgow and they still manage um, to, to have a kind of, um, they still manage to, to live from, from the earnings, you know, and I think there was a huge irritation at that and there was also a huge irritation at Creative Scotland. People were that people were slagging off Creative Scotland more than you. And um, people were really angry at Creative Scotland for what they perceived as um, an elitist decision, kinda of like you said. Um, and also <coughs> funding something vague and conceptual and what they perceive as kinda of wishy washy. People that have very practical, tangible art can't get funding, but people with these high floating conceptual ideas get 15k. That, that, I'm just telling you the perception. Mm. Um, so suppose what I would wonder is um, what how, how do you think that just being constrained to Glasgow even if you take Strathclyde out of Glasgow alone, how do you think that would limit an artist and does, you know, you've got a year do you think that the art that you'll create may touch upon some of the, the sort of um, subheadings under the Glasgow effect or some of the things that are being discussed tonight? Around about class and poverty and inclusion and exclusion, gender. You know, you know, I know, and we don't know these things now because it's a whole year you've got and it's a lot to, to think about. But that's um, one big long yeah. question. Fifteen questions. Yeah, like I said, on the day when shit hit the fan, I was working on text, and but at the same time, I was also trying to organise this. Um, like National Day of Action because it's the day when the train fares go off and I do that every January working with these other um, campaigns for public ownership of the railways and I was trying to do that and I was trying to do this and I was badly prepared and I just copied and pasted the text from the application and actually it was interesting <coughs> to see how much that jarred and like I said it was kind of really um, this art speak going out to this like completely kind of broad demographic of people so that and and the whole time you know I was desperately <laughs> trying to write more stuff to put out there but it was just me and I was trying to trying to do much and it all happened far too quick far too quickly um but you know I would the, what you were saying about what it is I may end up doing I mean this is it as well this conversation is it this conversation wouldn't have happened if um this project hadn't happened so it's th there's already been so many positive and exciting things that have come out of um, the big hoo-ha at the beginning of the year so like I I mean I've got some ideas about what I'm going to do but like I said it, it will take time and but I, I I sincerely hope that it does have a positive impact and that all the arguing is kind of out of the way because I think we're all largely on the same page 
Like, and I think that we all want to see um, inequalities and contradictions within the systems, within within the city and within the, the systems of power in the city um, removed. So, I mean, I have some ideas about about what I can try to do, but like, I'm only one person, yeah. so there's only so much, but I'll do my best. Thank you. I'm going to get three, because we're running out of time, so if I could get three comments. So it's one gentleman there, gentleman there, and then here. Yes? Um, you spoke about you know, 17 different theories of the end of Glasgow My favourite one is that we dump a huge amount of country sewage in the cloud, which then flows through the city centre and coats through the city centre and visibly filth, which weakens the immune system. So effectively, we're all poisoning one another than shit. <laughs> <laughs> it seems a bit pat to be literally true, but as a metaphor, especially for how people behave on social media when there's a sushi like that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Poetic. <laughs> yes, gentlemen. Yes, thank
and all the work that I do as a dancer has got to be processed because there's no other way of doing it. So you are saying something that's really very controversial, I'm sure. Um, no, I mean, it is, I mean, I know it is, but I just would, just because we're running out of time, I just want to get another two statements, three statements in, um, and then we'll get everybody to, to finish off and, and then Jerry will wrap up. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say um, what a pleasure it's been listening. It's been Thank really you. great. And I've, uh, several times tonight, I've actually felt really moved. I feel moved just saying it now. And I think it's because it's tapping into a lot of very, very important things. And I feel absolutely privileged to be here tonight to actually start hearing them again, like in the flesh, not on social media, but like, there you are, I can almost touch you, maybe I can smell you a bit, I don't know how much you're sweating up there. <laughs> but I think what I want to talk about, I mean there's so many things, but one thing that I feel like I'd like to offer is um, just about the institution of art, and um, I'm an artist myself, and unfortunately sir, I don't make objects, I make events maybe like a bit like Loki, maybe a bit like Helio, or different, but a, t a place where people can come together for some kind of experience, and that it might alter people emotionally or intellectually, or, or not, or maybe it doesn't work sometimes, I don't know. But something that I wanted to just go back to that Loki mentioned about the big, the big ones who, like, I feel like I know who they are, <laughs> but the big people that come in and they place a hierarchy down and then suddenly all this stuff happens and all these materials arrive and this. Mm. I think what's really difficult is that that the values that are commodified in those processes, what what's brought what's been brought up for me in this whole thing is that actually what I've really seen is that things that I really care about have been undermined by these instances where projects have been thrown down in mm. communities, but what they've done is like emulate things that actually are, can be really brilliant, but they've done it in such a kind of um, flippant way or commodified way or by numbers way, that, it, that what it does is it makes it really difficult for, for more grassroots people or people that are just individuals trying to like connect with other people, makes it really, really hard to know how you can convince people that you're not them yeah. and then like everything that you make that's temporary becomes parachuting yeah. like but I think performance is brilliant and it doesn't last forever and it shouldn't and to be honest nobody would want to be in one of those performances every day so like you know as everything that's temporary becomes parachuting everything that happens with a community or in a community becomes disingenuine or like poverty safari or whatever you want to call it and everything that's funded becomes a waste of money and I just think like that is robbery, that is robbery that that's happened and actually somehow I just feel that what this has done has really made me feel like I've got to claw that back because they took, they take the power from those communities but they take the power from people who believe in those processes as well mm -hmm. and so it's something about getting that back I think me and thanks for the time. Thank you very much. Oh. Thank you. So we've got one, two, three, and then we'll we'll finish up and come back. Yeah, you, Jeff, no, yes, you, no, I, I, you, okay. Back. Here. Uh, I don't really want to say uh, thanks very much uh, for all the different opinions that you've uh, voiced tonight. It's kind of bit of Brexit, there's no arguments and rehearsals, really. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I was amazed that the, the kind of vitriol that, that came out uh, towards you in this project. I don't have a problem with you coming out in the last way effect at the time. In fact, I, I think that more focus on that, uh, the better. I, I was amazed that somebody like Frank Macaviti and, and the way he came out kind of fighting like mad. And it just made me think, ironically, that I didn't hear bumping his gums during the city of culture when they ploughed in fucking gazillions of pounds into Glasgow for a very select few folk to enjoy it. Uh, but one of the things I find interesting about what you're doing uh, is this idea that you're, you're limiting yourself uh, you know, geographically to, to Glasgow uh, and and the idea of trying to investigate if you can be if, if, you, if there's a self-sustainability to that as opposed to having to take your art out and go further you know, whether it's down the road hot telling it to London or away to America or whatever, if you can if you can find your art and and do what you need to do that's useful here within the, the confines of, of the city. And I, it just struck me as something really interesting. A, a, a lot of the, I come, I want the, the film industry. Uh, and I, there's, this, there's this kind of move all the time to try and, uh, what do you call it, uh, second guess the market. So everybody is trying to be a, a genre film and this or a genre film and that, and nobody, uh, or, you know, everybody's been encouraged by the institutions create Scotland are terrible for it, especially the young people who are in the middle of discovering their own voices. Sorry, I'm being a bit random, but you'll have to put up with me. Um, but so I, I think the idea of finding your art in your own backyard and it being useful and of use to you and helping you find your own voice and your own identity and, and, and what you're doing draws attention to that for me and only encourages young people to to maybe find that out in their own backyard it's like Tom Leonard says that, that the local is international mm. and the you know, the, the national was parochial. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much. One last comment. Uh, could I just say, I didn't actually know I was going to come here the night. I was <laughs> going to go and buy a bag of chips for my dinner. And a bottle of iron brew. Anyway, I'm glad I did, and thanks very much. The thing that you've done is that you've pulled Glasgow. And to say you're a true Glaswegian, you've got to be a tad. Jesus Christ. So thank you very, very much. Jerry's going to do a little bit of a goodbye. Thank you everyone. Just to say, we're going to be back in a wee while uh, on March 14 doing the politics of Trident. And then, um, if, because we're, we're, we're monitoring the environment horizon for sushis, you know, we might be trying to provoke some to just do events. We, we are going to be coming back towards uh, a couple weeks after that with free speech, the media, and, and maybe Rangers, you know. 
uh, along some of the things that have happened, but you know, we, we need some strong men and strong women help with that. So um, please, volunteers, you know, step forward. Um, I want to make a make a kind of you know dig for species because I think as long as you know it's not the attack point in the kind of it, but species and catalysts and cathartic moments have have positives, and um, and I think we've seen that with with, with the Ellie's Glasgow effect, the Ellie's effect, because it touched on so many things. I mean, I'm sitting, I, I absolutely do not go on Twitter, uh, stay on Twitter all the time. I always do it from my laptop because some of my friends are on Twitter all the time, but I was actually just happened to be by, by happen chance on Twitter live the moment it, it broke on um, Twitter. And I want to make um, a wee defence for social media because social media is not what has articulated unacceptable views, misogyny, you know, whatever. It's an amplification of... Um, breaking down barriers mm. and, and people being allowed to have voice that is hugely positive and empowering and problematic at the same time. So when people say to me, like Gordon Brewer, who you know is a BBC presenter, said to me on Friday, oh, I, I'm not on Twitter because I would just be abused all the time. It's just hate on all that, you know. And I say, no, it's not. It's And also, silence is possible on Twitter. You can just ignore people. I, me and some other people once worked at seven tones of uh, seven voices of Twitter. We came up with seven, and one of the most powerful was just don't say anything where people um, are abusive. Um, but you know, that's only one way of responding. The media, the Daily Record, terrible headline, you know. That's a poor sub editor doing that who is like writing about 25, 30 different headlines mm. about subjects he knows nothing, he or she knows nothing about, and that's because these are failing flailing institutions that people are stopping to buy. You know, the Graham Spears story relates to the fact that the Herald were blackmailed over the withdrawal of £40,000 of advertising. £40,000. And they sacked the best sports journalist in Scotland and some of our eyes. So just two other quick um, thoughts. Ellie, you said, are we on the same page? I mean, we have to have a common language and we have to be able to listen to each other as we have done tonight. And engage and, and move on and you know accept when we're human. But I don't think we are on the same page. And I think in Scotland there's too much of trying to think we all think alike. There's been too much orthodoxy in Scotland, too much consensus, you know, one minute we're all Labour. We weren't we weren't actually all Labour. Now you've got to buy into the new Nat shiny story and I don't don't buy that. You know, there's a Nigerian writer that writes about the danger of a single story. Leave the single story and you arrive live and somewhere magical and somewhere liberated. We have to do, do that. And um, I think the role that individual matters here, and early by you know, putting yourself up, this, it, it's tough. And a friend of mine said about a similar experience when she wrote a book she thought people were going to hate and, and shoot her down for, and she thought some of the big men were going to shoot down, like Wally McAvenny and everything. She said she felt like she was putting her bum out of the window. And, 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 and what does that mean in Scotland, you know? Why do we feel we have to take flat? Because because we can listen and we can, you know, we can at least recognise that, you know, other people's opinions are valid. So I, I say, put the bums out the window, you know, and, uh, and put the people that think that's objectionable, you know, out the window as well, maybe. So, <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for such a brilliant conversation. Thank you for listening. Um, and thank you so much to the three of you for really putting yourselves on the line, putting your bombs out the window as well. <laughs> um, so thank you very, very much. Thank you.